first cell. I'm glad you came back. My daughter looked at the bulletin when we got home and she said, Dad, you went almost till noon and they have supper, they have lunch at noon. You should have stopped at quarter of. Well, you came back. So I apologize for being long-winded last week. <clears throat> and I, I don't apologize, but I do for messing up the whole schedule. I got an email from your pastor last night. I think it must have been 8 o'clock or so. And he said, oh, by the way, you're having the Lord's Supper tomorrow. So my practice has been always to prepare a message that has to do with the Lord's Supper. So at 8 o'clock, I'm scrambling and I'm studying. And so you're not going to hear the abuse of God's mercy this morning. Instead... What have you done to the cross? So I always try to preach about the cross or about the crucifixion or something like that. And rather than to offend anybody here this morning, <clears throat> I brought a little card that has a poem on it and you'll see there's a cross up here. I give this to girls usually around the age of 13 or so <clears throat> who promise to remain pure until they're married. And the poem says this, I carry a cross in my pocket, a simple reminder to me of the fact that I am a Christian no matter where I may be. This little cross is not magic, nor is it a good luck charm. It isn't meant to protect me from every physical harm. It's not for identification for all the world to see. It's simply an understanding between my Savior and me. When I put my hand in my pocket to bring out a coin or key, the cross is there to remind me of the price he paid for me. It reminds me, too, to be thankful for my blessings day by day and strive to serve him better in all I do and say. It's also a daily reminder of the peace and comfort I share with all who know my master and give themselves to his care. So I carry a cross in my pocket, reminding no one but me that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life if only I'll let him be. So I give this usually to young ladies, oh, about the age of 13, my granddaughters, and people like that. And I show that because there may be someone here who has cross earrings on or a cross tie tack or a pin in that regard in re according to what I say at the beginning. So don't take offense. I got one in my pocket. Um, Recently, <clears throat> there was a full-page ad in a national magazine selling Christian jewelry. And the author of the Berean Call writes, quote, Sick, slick, color photos offer an enticing display entitled The Inspired Cross Collection. The ad boasted, quote, a beautiful line of contemporary designs for men and women in pendants, rings, earrings, and tie tacks in a choice of precious metals with or without diamonds. And the author goes on to say, credulity is strained in relating this chick indulgent jewelry to Golgotha's blood-stained cross 
where our Savior hung in agony for our sins. One is aghast at the shameless commercialization which brazenly makes merchandise of the cross and perverts it in the process. One is perplexed that Christians by the thousands would gladly wear such trivializing misrepresentation of eternity's most solemn and important event. Yet these crosses the world, the world, the world proudly wears as well. And then he ends with this question. What have we done to the cross? What have we done to the cross? A.W. Tozer wrote, quote, If I see aright, the popular cross is not the cross of the New Testament. It is rather a bright new ornament upon the bosom of a self-assured and carnal Christianity. The old cross slew men. The new cross entertains them. The old cross condemned. The new cross amuses. The old cross destroyed confidence in the flesh. The new cross encourages it. The flesh, smiling and confident, preaches and sings about the cross. But upon that cross it will not die, and the reproach of the cross it stubbornly refuses to bear. What have we done to the cross? What have we done to the cross? And to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper this morning, I want us to look at four ways in which some have regarded the cross of Christ. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, obviously we could look at any of the Gospels in particular and go on into the epistles. I want to take this primarily from Luke chapter 22, and I'll begin reading at verse 63, Luke 22, beginning at verse 63. Hear the word of the Lord. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. When they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witnesses? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. So let's look at this a minute. To some, perhaps to most people, the cross is only an accessory. An accessory. It used to be mostly on the part of a woman's wardrobe uh, to have various accessories that accompanied her clothing. It stemmed even from Old Testament times when a woman would carry her wealth with her, and in New Testament times as well, where some of her wealth would be put up in her hairdo. And you've seen beehive hairdos, and I don't know what others that are called today, but they had their wealth in there in case she came home 
and found a note on the door that said, I divorce you. So she couldn't enter the home. She had her wealth with her. It was an accessory, an accessory. <clears throat> and by carrying her wealth in various accessory ways, she could provide for herself. But now, especially in America, things have changed. Now we find not just the women wearing accessories, but we find jewelry for men as well. I'm not gonna look, so <laughs> I'll be careful with this. I personally believe it has to do with vanity and pride and an attempt to demasculinize men and make them pretty. And preachers sometimes fall into the same category. Gaudy rings and, and uh, things that flash and other accessories. But what about the cross as an accessory? If it is only an accessory, that person, we might say, does not believe. If it's only an accessory, that person might not believe. Look at verse 67. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. Tell us. And then the words that were made at the foot of the cross in chapter 23 and verse 35, just over the page, and the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. <clears throat> Art thou the Christ? Was and is Jesus Christ the Son of God? But now, even one of the popular, used to be, I think he's dead now, one of the former uh, popular talk show hosts, Larry King, I think he's dead now. He was a Jewish man, <clears throat> and he would interview people and so forth. But once he was being interviewed, and in his, as he was being interviewed, he was asked, if you were to die and stand before God, what question would you ask him? Do you know what he replied? Imagine this man standing before God, interviewing God. What would you ask him? And Larry King said this, did you have a son Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Did you have a son? He didn't believe. He didn't believe. He might wear a cross, probably not as a Jewish man, but he didn't believe. You see, one can wear the cross as an accessory and not believe. And because they do not believe, they will not benefit from the cross. It will not benefit from the cross. John's gospel records the words of Pilate as he leads Jesus forth before the multitudes. And he says, behold your king. And they reply, away with him, away with him. We will not have him rule over us. Crucify him. Pilate then responds, shall I crucify your king? And they retort, we have no king but Caesar. What benefit had the Jewish people received from Caesar? None. They'd been made captives. They were burdened with taxes. They were under his whims as to what he would do with them. And Christ 
arrives on the scene and he says, I want to make you free. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they say, we will have no king but the king we've had from birth. Crucify him. Crucify him. And how much that is like the worldly person born into this world. And you well know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have eternal life. But we'll have no king but Caesar. The prince and power of the world will have no king but him. So because they don't believe, they will not benefit, and so perhaps to them the cross is only an accessory. But then there are some who try to avoid the cross. Those who try to avoid the cross. A few years ago when an investigative reporter did a program on the packaging of chicken that you buy in the grocery store, they went in behind the scenes and they showed how those chickens are, well, your country people, slaughtered. <laughs> and then how they're treated and how they're handled and how they're washed and how they're packaged. And then they're put in the grocery store. And then if it doesn't sell, they take them back behind and then they wash them with chlorine and all of these kinds of things. You know what happened? Overnight, the sales of packaged chicken plummeted. Because now people knew how chickens were handled and they were not pleased with what they found. Well, Pilate knew about crucifixions. This is an innocent man and I want to avoid the cross. I want to avoid the cross. The scourging didn't affect him. Men lived through scourgings, and the Lord Jesus lived through scourgings. But a cross meant death, and Pilate wants to avoid the cross. It wasn't an accessory to him. Oh, he did not believe, and he would not benefit, but he wanted to avoid the cross. And one who tries to avoid the cross is saying, I don't want to face it. I don't want to face it. Look back or look over it. Chapter 23, verses 4 to 7. Chapter 23 of Luke, verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, no notice, he's going to avoid the cross. He sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And two times in this passage, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. So in the end, he says, you take him and crucify him. I won't face up to the death of this man. I will avoid the cross. And like it or not, every person alive will face this fact. God will ask at the judgment, what did you do with the cross? What did you do about the cross? How did you face the matter of the cross? 
where Jesus shed his blood for you. When one tries to avoid the cross, they don't want to face it. Secondly, when one avoids the cross, often it is with the favor of friends who are more important. Who's the friend here? Well, initially, Herod was not a friend of Pilate. They'd had some opposition. In verse 12, though, and the same day, Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity with themselves. Herod also does not want to face the matter of the cross, neither does Pilate, and so the two are made friends. We'll avoid the cross. We'll avoid the cross. And the favor of friends is a powerful device by which some are kept from the cross. Christ himself said, a man must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do you avoid the cross when you're with your friends? Do you avoid the cross when with, you're with some family members who don't know the Savior? Avoiding the cross. Avoiding the cross. When was the last time you talked about the cross to them? And thirdly, the final result is fleeing responsibility. Fleeing responsibility. Look at verse 20 here in chapter 23. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were insistent with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Fleeing a responsibility. The voices of the world prevailed and Christ is cast off outside the city. You notice uh, in verse 25, he released unto them him, Barabbas, that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will and they led him away. Outside the city, fleeing responsibility. He is out of Pilate's mind, out of his hands. I'll have nothing to do with this just man. And you well know how he washed his hands and tried to... to uh, Avoid that responsibility as the judge and as the ruler in that particular case. I am responsible, but I flee responsibility. He's avoiding the cross. But there's another individual on the scene. And this man is one who had an aversion to the cross. He had an aversion to the cross. Look at chapter 23. And look at verse 26. And as they led him, Jesus, away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. A version seen in that they laid hold of him, 
compelled him, one of the other gospel records. Now, why would Simon have an aversion to the cross? Why would he try to avoid it? And it became an accessory to him as he's carrying it. Why would he have an aversion to the cross? Well, first of all, he knew what the cross represented. He knew what the cross represented. Anyone seen bearing a cross knew it represented death. No one survived from a crucifixion. It represented death. And even though it would not mean the death of Simon, he knew he would be connected with the death of this man. So, he knew what it represented, and he also knew its restriction. Its restriction. Why is Simon on the road here? Why is Simon, Simon in the way here? Why is Simon coming out of the country? And if you look at the other Gospels, you will discover that Simon is on the way to observe the Passover. Because it was Passover time. He's on the way to observe the Passover. And if I carry this cross... If I'm identified with the cross of Christ, it will affect my whole life. It will, not, it will change my worship because now I'm contaminated. It, 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 it will, it will, it will uh, separate me from what I've done in the past before I could go up and worship. Now I can't. Now I can't. And I will be shunned by the rest of religion because I've been carrying a cross. He had an aversion to this cross. He knew its re what it represented. He knew its restriction. And he knew that it would affect his worship. So he had an aversion to the cross. But fourthly, the cross must be accepted. The cross must be accepted. And it must be accepted not as an accessory... It must not be avoided, nor should one have an aversion to it. Instead, one should accept the cross. Notice its place. In chapter 23, look at verse 33. Chapter 23, verse 33. When they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, now notice, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he be the chosen of God, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So notice the place of the cross. It, is, it was central. One on either side of him. It was central. And it was central in the lives of those who were watching. The cross of Christ is located in the center 
of this scene, and quite properly so. For one who truly knows about the cross and accept what it represents, knows that no longer will the cross be an accessory to them. Instead, the cross should be the center focus of your life. Should be the center focus of your life. For it was on the cross that Jesus died. It was on the cross that he shed his blood. It was on the cross that eternal life is given. Central in one's life. And my part of this is to claim it. My part of this is to claim it. Notice that Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Now, some like to narrow this down and speak only of those who were crucifying, the Roman soldiers who were there and mocked him and gambled for his garment. The centurion was there as well. And Jesus says, Father... Forgive them, in verse 34, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. Well, this can be broadened because one can be forgiven. What a message that comes from the lips of our Savior as he dies for my sins and as he dies for your sins and for the sins of whosoever cometh to him. Claim the cross. Claim the cross. Accept it. What have we done to the cross? What have we done to the cross? In your life, have you made the cross just an accessory, just a, a, a nice little gold tie tag or earring or however else you might use it? Is it just an accessory? Have you avoided it? I don't like that scene at Easter time, especially on Good Friday. I don't like that scene where it shows the two thieves, one on one side and one on the other, and in the center, this this body that has been broken, this body that has been scourged, the blood, the nailing, the thorns. I, I, just, I don't like that scene. Let's avoid it. Let's go on to Easter and the Easter bunny and all these other things. Let's avoid it. Let's avoid it. Have you an aversion for the cross? Your Savior bled and died on the cross for you. For you. Oh, this one died for me. I, oh, it can't be. It can't, I have an aversion to that. I don't want someone dying for me. I want to do good. I want to try. I want to work. I want I, anything else but to have someone die for me. I have an aversion to the cross. The broken body and the shed blood for you. What have you done with the cross? What have you done with the cross? And we're going to sing now. I, th uh, I think it's 301. Number 301.
because this presents what happened on the cross. We're going to sing just the first two stanzas of number 301, and then we're going to go to that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So if you can turn to both to that passage as well, number 301, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're given the instructions as to how we're to observe the Lord's Supper. So number 301, and we're going to sing the first two stanzas. Number 301, and you may remain seated. <clears throat> Wounded for me, wounded for me, there on the cross he was wounded for me, gone my transgressions and now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Dying for me, dying for me. There on the cross, he was dying for me. Now in his death, my redemption I see all because Jesus was dying for me. Notice the cross. The children are going to come in, I believe, and join us, those who partake of the Lord's Supper. And so we'll wait just a second as they come in. That's all right, you won't disturb us. Let the children who are going to partake come in. What have you done with the cross? What have you done with the cross? How have you treated the cross? Is it just an accessory to you? Do you try to avoid it? Do you have an aversion for it? And have you accepted it? So if you failed to pick up the elements as you came in, it's all right. We'll, we'll let the children come in, those that are going to partake as well. Yeah, the men are lining them up. But let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we could read in the Gospels how the Lord Jesus instituted his Lord's Supper. Come on in, children, come on in. We want you to join us as well. <clears throat> Because this is an important time. It's an important time. And the children need to be exposed to it as well. Those that partake and those that don't partake. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're given instructions regarding this. So 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23. Okay, we're given the order here. The Apostle Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, For I have received of the Lord, directly from the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. 
When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he'd supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death, there's the cross, till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So how do I avoid partaking unworthily? Verse 28. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. She come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. So what's the first thing we do before we partake? We examine ourselves to see if there's any sin in our lives, if there's anything hidden in our hearts that would make us unworthy. And so this is an important time of confession and examination. And so you who are going to partake need to examine your heart. Not the one next to you. Not to the one on the other side of the church. No, you examine yourself. And as you examine yourself, and if God brings to mind this area, confess it to him. Last night, as I was sleeping, I was kind of in and out of a dream and so forth. But in that, as I woke up, I discovered You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to be sure that things are all right between you and me. So I confessed it right then. But maybe this morning or maybe something happened in your life that you need to confess. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. You look at your heart. And if God brings to mind a sin or practice or something you've avoided, or something you haven't dealt with, confess it to him. Confess it to him now. And be clean, and be cleansed, that you can partake of this in a worthy manner, because your heart is right before him. Amen. Our organist played, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Did you enter into that? And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And so if you'll peel off the top, 
You will find a wafer there representing the bread. He took the bread and he gave thanks. So let's pause now and ask God's blessing on the bread. Heavenly Father, our Savior went to the cross, was hung there with a broken body, a broken body. He had been scourged. He had had a crown of thorns placed upon his head and beaten into his brow by a scepter. He had been laid on the cross and his hands nailed and his feet nailed to that cross. Not a bone broken, the Bible tells us, but his flesh torn and broken. And our Savior himself said, this represents my body which is broken for me. And so together as a church right now, this do in remembrance of me. In Jesus' name, amen. And after the same manner also he took the cup. So let's peel off the top and make the cup available to you. He took the cup when he'd supped, so he, he asked the blessing upon it as well. So let us do so. And Lord... This cup represents thy blood. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. There can be no forgiveness without the blood. We don't understand all of this, but it is pictured so well in the Old Testament throughout. Even in the Garden of Eden, where thou didst shed blood in order to make Coats for Adam and Eve in their sin. Skins. So blood was shed. And then the picture of Abel as he comes with a lamb and offers it. On into the tabernacle and the offerings that were made. Representing the blood. For without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin. And so, Lord, we partake now of this cup as a congregation. We take it in the New Testament of thy blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And we partake of it now. And then the Lord Jesus told Paul, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Jesus Christ is coming again. And the disciples 
in Acts. We're standing looking up into heaven as Jesus went up and angels stood by and said, this same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We have that great passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. So let's look at that 301 again. Hymn number 301 again, because it concludes with that aspect of the Lord's return. Number 301, in verse 3, he was risen, because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what good would it have been? He'd been dead and buried. What good would it have been for us? What comfort would it be for us? What hope would it be for us? Dead and buried. But he rose, and he lives to make intercession for you as a believer. At the right hand of God the Father, he ever liveth to make intercession for you. But let's sing the last verse. So let's stand, shall we? The last verse of number 301, coming for me. Coming for me, coming for me. One day to earth, he is coming for me. When with what joy his dear face I shall see. Oh, how I praise him, he's coming for me. Mark's gospel, I believe, says, And when they had sung in hymn, they went out. And so you are dismissed.